Moment of Truth with Pastor Matt Shackelford is a ministry of Central Church in Collierville, Tennessee. Please visit us online at centralchurch.com. What does it take for guilty man to be made right with holy God? The Bible tells us all have sinned. We've all broken God's law and we all stand guilty. And God says that the wages of our sin is death. And you can't earn salvation. You can't bribe God with good works. So what do we do? This is the truth. There's only one way to be made right with God, and it's a free gift. And the moment that you repent, the moment you place your faith that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, God will make you right with him. He will wash you. He will make you white as snow. So moment of truth today, what will you do with Jesus? Have you ever felt ashamed of your belief in Christ? As we continue our teaching series in 2 Timothy entitled, It's Always Too Soon to Quit, Paul is going to show us that crossing the finish line requires living an unashamed life. Today, Pastor Matt will finish teaching on three ways you can live without apologies. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 10 and prepare for your moment of truth. Some of us have gifts, and if we're not walking in them, we'll miss the mission of God that He has for us. And when you do that, confidence follows. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We need to make an examination of the ministry of our life. If you are feeling fear in some aspect of your life, that's not from God. Amen? God doesn't give gifts of fear. God gives gifts of power and love and self-control. And, and notice it's past tense. He has given. He's given you these things already. They exist in full measure in you right now. His resources for your life. And your confidence will come when you understand your gifts. Notice, let's just go through the three things listed here. The first one is power. It's power. Uh, the word in the Greek, dunamis. What does that mean? Well, it has to do with the energy that produces results. It has to do with the power that we have, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you might write down Romans 8, verse 11. Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. It's the idea that you have the same power dwelling in you that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen? Adrian Rogers said it like this. He said, when Christians realize that they're inhabited, they will be less inhibited. 
I like it. That's true. We need to realize the power that we have in us. Second, we've also been given love. Love will overcome your insecurities. Love will overcome the shame that you feel when you take a stand for Jesus. How does that work? Write down 1 John 4.18. Such a great verse. It says, perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. How does that work? Well, if I lose my life serving God, I did it serving the one that I love the most. If I lose my my reputation serving God, then I did it serving the very one that I love the most. Love casts out fear. And the presence of fear in my life means I need to stir up this gift of love for Christ. He also gave us discipline. It's a uh, unique word in the Greek. It's a hapax legomenon. That's a big word, meaning it only appears one time in the New Testament. It's a conglomeration of words in the Greek. Sophronosmos. Uh, this word appears only one time, and, and the meaning is very clear. It's self-control, even through pain. It, it means I know my priorities, even in the hardest circumstances, even when someone shames me, even when someone hurts me, even at painful moments, I'm going to use my gifts as an opportunity in every circumstance to preach Christ. Uh, Self-controlled. To sum it up, Paul is saying you and I ought to know our gifts. We ought to access these gifts. And that's Paul's word to Timothy. Timothy, when you're feeling shame, When you're feeling ashamed of the gospel, when you're tempted to feel that way, you need to stir up your gifts and walk in them because the gifts and the resources of God are more than sufficient to keep us going. I wonder in the people of God who needs to hear that today. Maybe you're walking in a very difficult place where you're often shamed for your faith in Jesus Christ. God has given you gifts. And if you would stir up those gifts and walk in them, he would give you the strength to endure. You have God's resources. I like this quote from a a Spurgeon sermon. He said this. He said, the other evening I was writing after a heavy day's work. I felt very heavy and sore depressed. You ever feel that like that? You ever get depressed? Ever feel like you can't do what God's called you to do? And then swiftly and suddenly as a lightning flash, the text came to me. My grace is sufficient. I reached home and I I, I looked it up in the original and at last it came to me this way. My grace is sufficient for thee. And I said, I think it should be, Lord. And I burst out laughing. I never understood what the holy laughter of Abraham was until that evening. It seemed to make unbelief so absurd. It was as if some little fish was thirsty and was troubled about drinking the river dry. And Father Tim said, drink away, little fish. My streams are sufficient for you. Over the, or over the seven years of plenty, a mouse fear it might die of famine. And Joseph said, cheer up, little mouse. My warehouses are sufficient. Or imagine a man went away up yonder to a lofty mountain and said to himself, I breathe so many cubit of feet of air every year, I shall exhaust the earth of oxygen in the atmosphere. To which the earth replies, breathe away, O man, 
Fill your lungs forever. My atmosphere is sufficient for thee. God has given you abundant resources in himself. So walk in the gifts that he's given. That will keep you going. If we're going to live a life without apology, it's using the gifts God has given you. Second main point, write this one down. We need to embrace the hardship that life brings you. Use that word hardship, but you could also write in the word shame. Use the hardship. Embrace the hardship. Embrace that shame. Don't try to run from it. That's what this text is going to tell us. God has some of you in a very difficult place. Maybe for some of you it's a mixed marriage where one of you is a Christian and the other one is not. And the one who's not a Christian is very antagonistic to Christ and to the church. Or maybe you work with someone who's antagonistic to your faith. I've, I've been in that situation when I was in college. I, I was ridiculed for being a Christian. Or maybe you're in college and, and there's a, a shaming professor who tries to ridicule you at every chance. Don't try to run from it. I know it's hard. We need to embrace that shame. That's what we're going to see in point number two. Life is hard. How do we keep going? Well, the biblical truth is that this is actually the normal pathway of discipleship. I'm going to give you some verses to write down. You can study them out this week. Romans 8, 17. This is the normal path of discipleship. Romans 8, 17 says, if we suffer with him, or we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Write down 2 Corinthians 1, 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Write down Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but to suffer for His sake. This confronts a, um, a very prevalent mentality in evangelicalism. It's the mentality that if I'll just believe in Jesus, I'll have no problems. It's not true. It's just not true. You and I will experience shame. You and I will experience persecution. Paul will say in this letter, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will experience this suffering that we're talking about. All. Jesus promises a safe arrival, but he does not promise a smooth passage. There will be valleys of the shadow of death that we have to cross through, and we need to be like Jesus, embracing it and entrusting ourselves to the Father. In fact, he'll say in verse 8, look there, he'll say, share in suffering for the gospel. That word is literally, join up with me. In fact, the Good News translation of the Bible says it like this, come, take your part in suffering. It's almost like, come on, take your part, join up together, embrace it, come join our ranks. Notice two ways to do that. Paul gives two people to not be ashamed of. Look at verse 8. First, he says, don't be ashamed of our Lord. Can I just exhort you in that right now? Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. This is so subtle. It could happen when you're out to lunch today and you pray for the meal and your head is bowed and in your mind you're already thinking, I wonder what people around me are thinking of me. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of your Savior. This is, this is a fear of man and we need to embrace that shame. In fact, Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
We need to think that way. How could I be ashamed of Jesus, the one hope of mankind? Love the story of the college student. He went out to his university and he did something that's sort of a lost art. He started open air preaching. He started sharing his testimony in the courtyard of the university. He wanted everyone to know the difference that Jesus had made in his life. And as he was sharing the gospel, he was sharing his testimony. One of his professors walked up and just kind of listened for a while. And then after that, he listens and the professor shouts out and says, young man, you ought to be ashamed of yourself making a fool of yourself out here today. And that young man thought about it for a second. He said, you know, actually, I, I am ashamed of myself but I could never be ashamed of Jesus, the one who saved me from my sins, the one who washed away every sin I've ever committed, the one who made me whole again. I'll never be ashamed of Jesus Christ. You can't make me ashamed of my Savior, and that shut the professor up. Notice another way in verse 8, don't be ashamed of Jesus, nor of me, his prisoner. This might have been a very real temptation for Timothy, to be ashamed of those who do the work. You think about it, Paul's in jail. In fact, he will actually talk about towards the end of the book how all around him, all the other Christians deserted him. He said, nobody stood with me when I was at trial. There was just this fear. And there might be that temptation to be ashamed of those who work for the Lord, uh, those who are bold in their faith, to be ashamed of them. We need to be the kind of people who support other Christians who are out there in boldness sharing the gospel. Sometimes we can just get stuck into this rut of criticism. We can be ashamed of, of fellow Christians. Why do we do that? Well, it's easier to be a critic than to be out there sharing the gospel, isn't it? That's just easier. David Platt preached a sermon back in 2006 where he had people raise their hands if they've complained about anything in the church within the past month. And then he had them raise their hand if they had shared the gospel in the past month. And the difference was staggering. And he said this, until we are a people more passionate about sharing the gospel and the mission over complaining and criticizing those who are out there doing it, will never complete the mission God has given us. Now, no one's come to me with any complaints, all right? Now, granted, I've only been here two or three weeks. <laughs> I, know, I know that day is coming. But I'll say this. We need to be a people who build up the servants of God, who are being persecuted, who are being hurt, who are out there giving their all shamelessly for the gospel. And Paul says that. Now, you might be asking, how do I do these things? How do I embrace shame? That's not normal, amen? That's not a normal thing to embrace hardship. Nobody runs towards that. But look at his mentality at verse 8. This is so powerful if you'll see this. Those two words at the, at the middle of verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, listen to it, his prisoner. Oh, that's, that is so powerful if you can get this. Whatever circumstance you're in where you're feeling shame, whatever circumstance where you're in where the world is trying to push you down because of your faith, Paul sees himself as God's prisoner. He's not a prisoner of his circumstance. 
He's not a prisoner of Nero. He's not a prisoner of the courts. He's a prisoner of God. He sees everything that's happened to him as from God. And if we start seeing our life that way, we'll be able to embrace hardship. We'll be able to embrace the shame. How do we stand tall, unashamed? We use our gifts. We embrace the shame. We embrace the hardship. And our last point this morning, we rest in God's power to preserve. We rest. This is how you and I can live without apology. We rest in the power of God. We don't look at our own uh, means of getting out of a difficult situation. We rest in the power of God. There's a great story from George Whitfield. He was constantly being falsely accused in his ministry. Someone in his congregation wrote him a letter accusing him of wrongdoing. His reply went like this, I thank you heartily for your letter. As for what you and my other enemies are saying against me, I know worse things about myself than you will ever know about me. (laughs) With love in Christ, George Whitfield. That's it. That's all he said. What was he doing? He was entrusting himself to God. He's saying, I don't have to fight these battles. I can rest in the power of God to preserve me. That's what Paul does in verse 8. Notice Paul where he rests. He says, share in suffering for the gospel. How? By the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. What is this? What are we doing? He's going through a doctrinal creed of salvation. In fact, some commentators say this may have been an early hymn of the church, and he's reciting a hymn. But he's reciting the doctrine of salvation. You have all of it right here in verses 9 and 10. You have salvation, you have sanctification, you have glorification. We're saved by his power in the past. You don't work to save yourself. This is God's work. He saves us. He calls us into a holy calling. And then he sanctifies us. Every Christian who is truly saved, God begins to work and to change us. I like the saying that uh, if there's no change, there's something strange. God sanctifies his people. He starts to change us. And then we see the end, the outcome of salvation, the appearing of Christ, the abolishment of death. Uh, We see life and, and immortality. And some of you are saying, come on, what's the point of all this lesson of salvation? Why are we getting into the the doctrine of salvation? Why is he quoting this ancient hymn? I think what he's doing is this. It's the argument of greater to lesser. If God worked to such an extreme to save you, and he started this process in eternity past, before ages began, and he calls you, and he beckons you, and he regenerates your heart, and he sanctifies you, and he's coming back for you, and we're going to live forever because death will be defeated, won't he most certainly do the lesser work of preserving you? I mean, if he did all that, I mean, he did all that to save you, won't he most certainly preserve you through the little criticisms of man? He overcame sin. He overcame death. He overcame the devil. He will overcome 
the little voices around you that will push you down. Some of you need to meditate like Paul on your salvation. <laughs> Just think about this. Paul is in prison. Paul is in jail, but his mind has, has soared off into heaven. Maybe it's some of the hard moments this week in your life you need to do that. You need to let your mind soar off into eternity and the God who sustains his people. It's like, it's like Paul has Timothy right there in front of him. And he says, Timothy, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of the shame. I'm about to die. I'm about to be beheaded, but I'm okay. Why? Because by the power of God, I, I know who God is. And I know his saving power, so I know his preserving power. And by the power of God, I have run this race with eyes on my master and not eyes on man. And by the power of God, I believe and I love the gospel more than my life. And by the power of God, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And by the power of God, I believe he will preserve me. And that same power, that same power that saved me and sanctified me will bring me all the way home. Some of you are going to face shame this week. But by the power of God, you'll stand. And by his salvation power, you'll be able to rest. And this is a great book. Second Timothy is one of the richest books in the Bible. And I have so much more to tell you. But you're going to have to come back next week. We're out of time. Let me close with these final words from Jim Elliott. You know his story. He was a missionary, missionary to Ecuador. He died killed at the hands of the Aka Indians. His wife, uh, Elizabeth, wrote in her book, The Shadow of the Almighty, and she records a journal entry from Jim Elliott he, when he was a student at uh, Wheaton College in 1940. He wrote this, Father. Make me a crisis man. Bring those I come in contact with to a decision. Let me not be a milestone on a single road. Make me a fork that m people must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. That's my prayer for all of you as you leave today. That you would be a crisis man or a crisis woman. That you'd be unashamed of the gospel unashamed of your Savior, and that you'd walk in the gifts and embrace the hardship and rest in the power of God as you face this hard, hostile world. We trust that today's message has been a challenge and an encouragement to you. Jesus tells us that truth always demands a response, so he calls us to be doers of his word, not hearers only. So this is your moment of truth. How is God calling you to respond? If you would like to watch or listen to this message, please visit online at centralchurch.com. We'd also love to worship with you online. Join us at 9.30 or 11 a.m. every Sunday as we stream our services on Facebook or through our website. If you would like to donate to support this program and God's Word being sent out, please mail a gift 
or you can call us at 866-TRUTH-TN and someone will be standing by to receive your credit card donation. We are located at 2005 Winchester Boulevard in Collierville, Tennessee. We can't wait to explore God's truths with you next week. Hi, Pastor Matt here from Moment of Truth. This year we're having an online service where you can interact and get to know some of the people of God, even amidst the things that are happening in this world with the coronavirus. And I wanna invite you to join me every Sunday at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Church dot com backslash live. That's our live stream. We hope to see you there. Moment of Truth is sponsored by Central Church.